I just want to bring a word to you this morning. Over the next three Sundays, today, uh, next week, and, uh, and then the 25th, uh, we're going to share from the Word of God uh, out of two passages of Scripture. Matthew 1.22 uh, says, So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. And then in Isaiah 9, 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Over the next three times that we're together, I want to talk to you about the names that the Scripture gives in the context of the birth of our Savior, the names that the Scripture referred to him by. And today I want to dedicate our time together to this, uh, to this promise that was given in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 22 that says, uh, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which, tra which is translated God with us. I want to talk to you about God with us. Now, we know that the angel said to Jesus, uh, said to Joseph, you, you call his name Jesus. We're like, why didn't he tell Joseph to call him Emmanuel? Jesus is a name and Emmanuel is a title. God with us. And throughout the generations, as a result of this prophetic expression that was given in Matthew uh, chapter 1, uh, and verse 22, as a result of this prophetic expression, we have always referred to the Savior as Emmanuel, God with us. And so I want to challenge you this morning that God is with us and that his, it has always been the intention of God to be with us and to be among us. I love, I, t I taught for uh, a series uh, several months ago on uh, the tabernacle and I, I uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness when the 12 tribes of Israel were, were traversing through the desert and they had left Egypt, that God literally gave them a pattern of how to pitch their tents. He said, I want your, I'm glad I said that correctly. He said, I want your, um, I want the tabernacle right in the midst and I want all of you to set up your tents all around the tabernacle so that, I, so that my presence is right in the middle of you. Beautiful picture. It's a prophetic picture of the heart of God. This morning as we were worshiping, the Spirit of the Lord began to deal with us about coming into his presence and about him coming into our presence and about us being together. He was speaking of this prophetic picture. I want to be right in the middle of you. I want to be right in the middle of your stuff. I want to be right smack dab in the middle of your life. And the enemy comes to us, it, it, it really just gets to me nowadays. I, I, I'm searching for the right words. The enemy wants to con convince you that God does somehow not want to be with you. 
that's okay. He wants to be with pastor, and certainly he'd want to be with bishop. He's a bishop after all. So God would want to hang out with a holy guy. But the reality of it is the reason that Jesus came was so that he could take his righteousness and his holiness and his purity and give it to us because we didn't have any of our own. That preacher down there at Church of Living Water, he's not a holy guy. He's only righteous because Jesus made him so. He's no, no more holy than anyone else in the room. Except and because of Jesus. We're able to have access. That's why the scripture says he made a way where there seemed to be no way. God made a way for you to come into his presence because before Jesus, you had no way into his presence. Only one guy, once a year, could come into the very literal presence of God and they hung bells and pomegranates on his road, robe and tied a rope around his leg because if he went in there and he was unprepared to be there, he came out dead. They dragged him out by his ankle. There were no secret sins in his life. Can you imagine they're dragging him out going, well, I wonder what he did. Go to that funeral. You see, nowadays when folks die, we, we talk about how good they were and we, we tell the, the wonderful stories of their life and nobody tells all those things that they're whispering among themselves. But in a situation like that, it's very clear something's out of order. But because of Jesus, we get to go into his presence with no rope around our ankle. He wants to be in the middle of your life. He wants to be in the middle of your stuff. He wants you to create a dwelling place that he can be in the center of. Isn't that beautiful? He doesn't want you to talk yourself out of it. He doesn't want you to listen to the voices that come along and tell you that you're not qualified for his presence. If you've said, Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sin, you are qualified for his presence. And he delights to hang out with you. It has always been the plan of God to dwell among his people. You see that from the beginning. When God said, among himself, because there was no one else for him to talk to, let us make man in our image. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, let us make man in our image, body, soul, and spirit. Let us make man in our image. Well, you know, uh, once we do that and we put, them in a put man in a situation where that he has to make a choice of whether or not he's going to be a worshiper of Almighty God, he's going to make some bad decisions. All right, let's make a way. Let's make a way. Let him make his bad decision. Let him separate himself from God. And it's let, let's make a way so that those, that, so that whosoever will, are you enjoying hearing those words? So that whosoever will can come 
And so God, from the beginning of time, makes a declaration that he's going to create an environment so that whosoever will may come and hang out with him. I can never figure out why some folks won't. Because he said, whosoever will. So it is still the plan of God to dwell among his people. Do you know that the, the, the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy One? When you said yes to Jesus, God moved in. So much so. Listen, I'm, I'm going I'm to share this with you because the reality of this is so overwhelming to my, to my mind. I can hardly conceive it. The Bible encourages believers to stay away from sinful behaviors because the scripture says that you as a believer, when you uh, participate in sinful behaviors, that you take the members of Christ into that sin with you. What he's saying, that used to, that used to really uh, kind of scare me as a, as a young man when I, when I uh, didn't have full understanding of what the Lord was trying to say. But what he was saying to me and to you is, I love you so much that I'm not going to run away from you when you do something wrong. I'm going to stay right there. I'm not going to withdraw myself from you when you uh, walk in error. I'm not going to withdraw myself from you when you make a mistake. I'm not going to withdraw myself from you when you make poor choices. I never walk away from you. You are the only one who can walk away. I don't walk away from you. Isn't that, isn't that great? I mean, isn't that great spiritual truth? And yet we will let the enemy tell us, God doesn't want you. Oh, he wants everybody else, but, but there's something about you. Seriously. Let's not let the enemy speak those things into our heart. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, you are not your own. You you, who invited Jesus to come into your life, you are not your own. You are now purchased prize possession. You are to him. You see, when, when we teach from Scripture, there's some, some great passages in the New Testament, um, some stories that Jesus told about a treasure that was hi that, that's hidden in the field and about a coin that is lost that, that is a dowry coin and a woman sweeps the entire house and, and calls in her friends and they help her look for this coin until it's found and, and the, the lost sheep and all, all of these stories that, that certainly time doesn't allow us to get into today but the stories that Jesus told and uh, we look at those stories and, and we recognize that whenever we run after God that he is like a, a hidden treasure and we take that word and, and this is the field and there's a treasure hidden in the field and we run and we dig out that treasure and, and that if there's something of him that we need to receive that we do not know, it's like that lost coin that that, that woman diligently looks for uh, all over her house until she finds it and, and we recognize that there is something of him that we need to possess, that we need to search out and we need to hunger for and we need to diligently pursue. But the other side of that story is that you are to him that lost coin. 
You are to him that pearl of great price that he pursued. You are to him that treasure hidden in a field. He went and he bought the field. When he went to the cross, he gave up everything to buy the field in which you were hidden so that he could take possession of you. We need, to, we need to see both sides of that scenario. There is a pursuit that needs to take place in our life as we pursue God. But the reality of it is, he's been pursuing you since the moment breath came into your body, and he's still pursuing you today. He's pursuing you. There's this passage of scripture. It's, it's, it's an interesting passage of scripture because I've lived it out in my life, unfortunately. The scripture says, the way of the transgressor is hard. Whenever I came to Jesus, and I said, Jesus, come into my life, and you do with my life what you want to do. I had all those prayers prayed by the time I was seven. How many understand a lot of times you pray things and you're not quite, you don't realize what you've actually said? But nevertheless, when you come into covenant with God, he understands it. So as I was coming up as a child, I grew up in church, and I, I was filled with the Holy Spirit before I was old enough to really speak the English language too well. I was praying in the Spirit, full of the Holy Ghost, making covenant, coming into covenant with God. Then it go through those seasons in your life whenever your heart's a little bit far from him and... and and you're not paying as much attention to that relationship as you need to, to uh, pay, and, and you make choices that produce circumstances that make for hard situations. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he says, the way of the transgressor is hard. You're, you're transgressing the covenant that you made with me. You made an agreement with me, the Lord says. You made an agreement to walk with me, and you're not exactly doing that right now, and that gets to be really difficult. How many have ever lived that one? That's the Holy Spirit just simply reminding you and saying, come on, come, come back close to me. Come and walk with me. And I'll make the way before you straight and smooth. It's the way of the transgressor that's hard. You know what? That's become a signal in my life. Seasons when things become very difficult one of the first things I do is I go to the Lord and I ask, am I transgressing in my agreement with you, in my covenant with you, in my relationship with you? Is there a transgression here? Am I pushing back against something I should be embracing? Am I withdrawing from you in a way that I should be pressing into your presence? It's a good question to ask the Lord. I've never found him unable to answer that question. <laughs> He'll always tell you, come on closer. Come on, come in a little closer. He wants to talk to you. It has, from the beginning, been God's plan to dwell among his people. It is still presently God's plan to dwell among his people. But I want to give you one other thing that you should take as a promise from God. It is God's permanent plan to dwell among his people. It is God's future plan to dwell among his people. He's not finished 
with the development of that plan. He began that plan in the beginning. He was carrying out that plan when he put the tabernacle in the midst of the children of Israel as they were camped around his presence. He was carrying out that plan whenever Jesus went to the cross to make a way where there seemed to be no way so that you and I could come into his presence any old time we want to. When he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if anyone will hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in and I will have communion with them and, and they can have communion with me. He was carrying out that plan. But there's yet a further development to that plan that we see in Scripture in uh, Revelation chapter 21, verse 3 forward. It says this, And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. Can you see for one moment what has been in the heart of God from the very beginning of time that the tabernacle of God would be with men? So in this section of scripture, after all of things as we know it are wrapped up, the Bible, Jesus said uh, to his disciples when he was leaving, he said, I'm going to go away and I'm going to prepare a place for you that, that, that I'm going to come and I'm going to receive you to myself that where I am, there you also can be. He even told them then in his departure, I'm preparing a place so that we can all be together. Isn't that exciting? So in the context of this, this is, the, this is the timeline in which the new Jerusalem comes to dwell on the, new, uh, on the new earth. A time that is yet ahead of us. And as the new Jerusalem is set down upon the new earth, he says, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them. It's the thing he's been waiting for. It's the thing he's been longing for. It's the thing he's been working towards. Well, let, let, me, let me just suggest to you that if from the beginning of time God has been working toward this event, and if in this period of time it is yet in his heart to dwell in the midst of his people, what is keeping us from his presence on a continual basis? What is keeping us from understanding that we as believers are living in the very presence of God? He is with us. He is in us. If you look at the way that Jesus prayed, you should do this on your own time. We won't turn there this morning. John chapter 17, unless you want to be here till 2. Uh, uh, I didn't hear any amens. <laughs> Interesting, I didn't hear a single amen when I said that. In John chapter 17, Jesus is praying. And he's saying, Lord, Father, you and I are one. You and I are one. Now, Lord, here's this group of people. And he began to pray for the disciples that he was releasing into the earth at that time. And he began to pray over the church that was to rise up out of their labor in the earth. He said, God, make us one. Jesus was praying then, connect us, bind us, make us as one. Make me and my church 
and your heart and my heart and their heart, would you, would you just so intertwine us and interweave us together? The point that Jesus was making and the prayer that he was praying was so that when people look at you, they see God. When they look at you, they see the love of the Lord in the earth. I'm telling you, when I watch the news and I see angry believers and, 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 and believers that are saying things and doing things publicly that put a, shed a poor light on the love and the truth of the gospel, it just upsets me so much because God's not mad at anybody. <laughs> I know, huh? God's not mad. So what are you doing being a mad believer? Worst thing in the world is to be an unhappy, contrary, mad believer. That just doesn't represent well the kingdom of God. We are in a season of time where the voice of the Lord yet speaks, whosoever will may come. We're in a season of time where what we are supposed to be doing is simply offering the invitation. Just offer the invitation. So the scripture says in in, uh, Revelation 21, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away their tears from their eyes and there will be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Oh, some of y'all are saying amen. Some of y'all got some things you want, you want to see passed away. You've got some things that you want changed. Well, what are you waiting for? In Christ. Listen to what he says. Don't, don't stop there. Sometimes we stop short. We don't finish verses and chapters. Don't stop there. Listen to this. Then he who sat on the throne said, and I want you to take this as your promise today. Take this home with you. I I wish you would uh, get some white out and and write this on the dash of your car because you can't get that off. (laughs) It'll stay there forever. Behold, I make all things new. Did you hear the promise of God? Behold, I make all things new. Some of y'all are in a marriage relationship and, and you think you need a new marriage and what you need is for God to make that marriage new. Some of you are in relationship with children and, and you think you could just do better with other children. And what you need is for God to make that relationship new. You're on a job and you think you need a new job and what God is saying to you is, I'd like to make that environment that you're living in a new environment. I would like to come into that environment and make some changes and and take some old things and cause them to pass away and to bring up some new harvest in your behalf, some new things. Behold, I make all things new. 
in 2017, for the year ahead, if you, if you and I would just, that promise alone, put that in front of our faces and begin to let the Holy Spirit write upon our hearts that he says, he who sits upon the throne says, behold, I make all things new. And if we would begin to apply that promise to some old scenarios and to some old perspectives and some old circumstances and some old situations and let the Spirit of the Lord arise in the middle of those circumstances and situations and let God make those things new. Some of you all are walking in some broken places that it just needs the breath of the Spirit of God upon it. Just needs God to breathe upon it. Be new. It's the same creative environment that took place in Genesis when God just stepped up over the mess that was happening and he said, let there be light. God looks today into your situation and he says, let there be new. Let there be new perspective. Let there be new hope. Let there be new healing. Let there be new in that relationship. Do you know what Adam said whenever God came to him and said, Adam, you disobeyed me. He said, well, that woman you gave me. You know, when God made Eve, Adam was like, all right, I like this. But then when Adam messed up, God comes along and says, what about this, Adam? And he says, well, that woman you gave me. Well, when Moses was frustrated, we see the same response when he was leading the children of Israel. He's, those people. God doesn't want to bring you into new relationships. He wants to make those relationships new. And we need to begin to say to the Lord in, in the context of those environments of our life, well, I'll, I'll tell you what, I, I don't think it's terribly wrong that, that someone pray that God change the heart of their spouse or, or the perspective of their spouse or whatever, but Take a moment and ask God if your attention needs to change and your perspective needs to change. You know, God, where do I need to change? Change me. That's something you can actually do now. We, we don't have to wait for, for that individual to change. You can change me now. I'm ready. And let God begin to do new things in your perspective. I've discovered that particularly when I was working in secular vocations along the sides of... How many understand that you don't always get to choose who you work with? Yeah. <laughs> well, I worked for Satan's uh, brother and <laughs> worked for him for a long time. But when I prayed for him, I saw what Jesus saw. And all of a sudden, I didn't have the same perspective on his life, on his honoriness and on his meanness. And I didn't know his history, but something happened in his life to make him so angry and unhappy. And over the years, so, he had developed into crotchety. 
But when I prayed for him, and I began to hear Jesus whisper how much he loved him, all of a sudden my perspective became very different. And by the time I left that employment, the people around me were saying, how is it that you can work with him? No one can work with that man. I got to see him the way Jesus saw him. Behold, I make all things new. God wants to make your perspective on your circumstances new. Well, how do we do that? I mean... It's, another, it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to actually be able to apply the word and walk that out in our lives. Without getting into all the scriptures, I'll let you look them up later, but I'll, I'll give you some reference. The Bible says that we're seated together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. No longer do I look at the world horizontally. No longer are you as a believer supposed to look at the world through your eyes. You can only see as far as the horizon is ahead of you. You cannot see over the crest what is coming. Even looking back, you can only see as far as the horizon gives you. You lose perspective as time marches on. But when you're seated in Christ Jesus in heavenly places, you now can see the world from his perspective. You and I need to begin to pray and we need to begin to ask God to give us his perspective. Particularly over those honorary people that are making you mad. <laughs> Particularly over those situations that you have put all of your effort in and been unable to change. I remember one time I was on a job and I was like, oh God, get me out of here. And he said, when you finish what I sent you there to do, I will. <laughs> God's perspective. When you go there joyfully, when you carry my light into that dark place, when you become my voice in that environment, and you've sown the seed that I purposed for you to sow, I'll get you out of there. And that's exactly what he did. God's perspective. God's perspective is not complicated and it is not religious. It is not super spiritual. Y'all have, have, have come in contact with some of those people who walk with God in such a place that their feet never quite touch the ground. God's perspective is not that. You don't get to float in and out as though life never touched you. In this life, you're going to have one or two troubles. God's perspective is not that. God's perspective is simple, and it is wise. And when he gives you his perspective, then you will have a discipline to take that perspective and reject your own. And I have found that God is continually speaking and for the most part, we get into trouble because we don't want to hear what he, we're not liking what he's saying. Oh, you mean I have to stay in this situation? For a moment longer? Did you say that you trust me? 
Did you say that I could order your steps? Did you say that you were mine? Do you trust me? God's plan is to dwell with his people. That whole perspective denotes relationship. Have you ever lived with someone you didn't talk to? Some of y'all are living with God, but you don't talk to him. Have you ever had to live with someone that wouldn't talk to you? Don't be in that relationship with the Father. He's with you. He's not leaving you. So you just as well strike up a conversation. It has always been the heart of God to dwell among his people. It has always been his purpose to give you his perspective. It will continue to be his desire to help you see your life, your circumstances, your relationships, the people around you that you can't change from his perspective. I want to challenge you this morning. Behold, I make all things new. The tabernacle of God is with men. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. God has come to dwell with you. He loves you. He wants you. He pursues you.